This is Rabbi Michelle Robinson from Temple Emmanuel, and I am here with Bob Manukin here at Harvard Law School. And we are here to have a wonderful conversation about Bob's new book, which is The Jewish American Paradox, Embracing Choice in a Changing World. Bob, it's so spectacular to be here with you this morning. Thank you. What a pleasure for me to have you here. So I wanted to ask you, you are a Harvard professor of law and negotiation. What prompted you to write a book about religion? Well, you're right that uh, many of my friends were puzzled when they uh, learned about this project. Uh, since 1973, first in California and now here, uh, I've been a professor of law. And my primary focus has been on negotiation, mediation, especially conflict resolution outside of court. And I've written about all kinds of conflicts, uh, ranging from families and divorce, on the one hand, to uh, international conflicts. Uh, right now, in fact, in uh, this last year, apart from this book, I published a book with two collaborators on Henry Kissinger as a negotiator. I think that what really prompted me to write this book was becoming a grandparent, because uh, what I realized was that part of me very much hoped that my grandchildren would grow up to have a Jewish identity and think of themselves as Jewish. Uh, and given how my wife and I had led our lives, where we had not been uh, religiously committed, I was asking myself, what's this all about? Our youngest grandchild, believe it or not, his name is Cornelius Alcott the Sixth, and uh, needless to say, uh, his father, Cory Alcott, who was Cornelius Alcott the Fifth, did not grow up in a Jewish household. So, uh, one of our daughters, with our blessing, uh, intermarried, and of course, this is now among our contemporaries and our generation, very common. And uh, yet I found myself uh, really hoping that Eli, we call him Eli, would uh, grow up uh, to think of himself as Jewish. And I'm happy to report, in fact, he's now 14. When he was 13, he did have a bar mitzvah. So, so far, so good. <laughs> but what I really wanted to do was explore carefully you know, my own feelings about being Jewish, my own Jewish journey, so to speak, and really think about the predicaments that I feel we face as American Jews. So your book is part personal journey and part ethical will. What is it that you would hope that your grandchildren would take from this book and use in their lives moving forward? Well, I guess most of all, as is almost suggested by the subtitle, what each of us makes of our Jewish heritage often will evolve over time and uh, is certainly not, in my view, going to be determined by anything necessarily that parents or grandparents do, although I think we can, uh, at the margin, influence things. And I, most of all, what I do do is uh, explain towards the end of the book that for someone who is not religiously observant, but now has really struggled and thought a lot about uh, my heritage, 
what at, what at its core do I value most? What would I say if one of my grandchildren asked me, well, why is it important to you to be Jewish? And I described it as involving the Jewish head, the Jewish heart, and the Jewish heritage. And by head, what I really mean is that we are people of the book, long believed in uh, debate, discussion, analysis. And I don't think it's an accident that a disproportionately number of American Jews are academics and are interested in the life of the mind. And I don't think this is something at all exclusively Jewish, but it's certainly part of our heritage. And I hope my grandchildren, well, they know in terms of my life, that's something I value. In terms of the Jewish heart, I'm very committed to the notion of tikkun olam. As I describe in the book, I grew up uh, in a Reformed congregation in Kansas City, and although uh, my knowledge religiously was thin, I certainly absorbed both from religious school and my parents the notion that as Jews, we have a special responsibility to help heal the world, not just for Jews, but for people generally. And once again, I take enormous pride in the fact that if you look at social and philanthropic activities in America, America, the, the, the remarkably disproportionate ways that uh, Jews have been committed to all kinds of progressive causes. And finally, the third element is the Jewish heritage, and that is, it's quite a story. To write the book, I've studied and learned a great deal more about the history of Jews, including the history of Jews in America, and I think it's a remarkable story. And so that heritage means a great deal to me. So uh, those are the things that are most central to to me. In the book, I'm not trying to sell these three aspects to others because I'm very committed to the notion that each of us, as a matter of choice, really gets to search for and define what's most important to us. So let's talk about that choice and that commitment that you have to choice because that comes through really very amplified in this book that you wrote. You make arguments in the book about inclusiveness and accepting each individual's self-identification, about the multiplicity of our personal identity, and that none of us are only one thing, but each of us contain a multitude of different self-identities. And you see the need for us to have, nevertheless, a shared collective. How do you square those (laughs) two? How do you square this um, sense and push for personal identification and personal choice, including whether to define yourself as a Jew or not, with building a Jewish community that has shared values and shared identity? That is a a great question, and it's certainly not one that uh, for which I've got... uh, Uh, some uh, simple answer. I think you're right to underscore that what is an element of being Jewish is being part of a community and identifying with a community and a community which has a history. Uh, Not necessarily entirely shared history because there's such diversity. And that's completely true on the one hand. But on the other hand, I think I am... uh, someone who's uh, quite committed to the notion of uh, individual choice. What you said is really at the core of my book about my notion of identity. I don't think any of us are any one thing. 
I think all of us have many strands to our identity. And that if you ask for Americans, how salient is the Jewish strand? There's enormous variation. For some Americans, I mean, you know, for example, for the Haredim, for what are called the ultra-Orthodox, being Jewish and being part of their own tightly defined community dominates everything else. At the other extreme, there are American Jews who will say they think of themselves as Jewish, but for whom, in fact, if you ask the question I pose late in my book, which I think is a valuable question, and that is, how does being Jewish affect how you're living your life? They'd often shrug because it's really not important. It's not affecting their behavior. There's not much of a either religious or cultural uh, involvement. And then there's everything in between. Moreover, the other thing I think is, and I'm sure you've experienced this even within your congregation, for many people, being Jewish is a journey where the salience of being Jewish varies at different times in their life. The other thing that I think is quite wonderful about American Jewish life is that there are a remarkable variety of activities and institutions under what I call the Big Tent. Many, of course, are religious. There are synagogues, not only the three major denominations, but lots of things in between. There are all kinds of other Jewish organizations, Jewish film festivals, etc. And I think that people can express their Jewishness in all sorts of different ways. And I think that's fine. On the other hand, I think your point that, well, why should it be enough, simply as I argue, that if people self-identify as a Jew, they should be welcome under the big tent as at least part of the larger community, and the reason I reach that conclusion is because I acknowledge this variety and think that we should be embracing and uh, not put such great emphasis on defining the limits of who counts. So if we take the most expansive view of yes. who counts, as you argue in your book, as whoever is counting as Jewish is because they have counted themselves. As Jewish. That is the definition. Publicly. Publicly. Correct. Publicly. It, to be a Jew is to say, I am a Jew. Full Publi- stop. Publicly. That's exactly right. I mean, I end up after struggling with the issue through a number of chapters, as you know. Yes. Uh, I end up saying that for the American community, that's the best way to define who counts for what I call the big tent, and that is the community as a whole. So if we were to follow that expansive vision of membership is defined by I say I am a member, um, what would it look like to be Jewish? Well, you see, the the other aspect, uh, which I also talk about, is under this big tent are all kinds of Jewish institutions, as I've described. And I think each of these is free for itself to define its own criteria. For example, I of course understand halakhically that self-identification isn't enough. You either have to have a mother uh, who is Jewish or you've got to go through a formal conversion process. For us as liberal institutions, the message of your book that we should be inclusive lines up with our inclination to want to be inclusive and to expand our tents. Um, what about for those who are more traditional? How do you 
expect that this book would or could speak to them? Well, I think that, first, I hope they find it interesting and they, they find stimulating at least the arguments uh, that I'm presenting. I don't, nec- I, I certainly don't expect them to simply uh, necessarily agree uh, at all. Uh, and in many ways, I mean, the book is a plea for tolerance and the acceptance of diversity within our community. I'm not asking them to uh, their own commitments, nor am I asking them within their own congregations to the extent that they want to not modify uh, traditional standards. I think that's their right. And uh, one, one wonderful aspect of the American Jewish world is there is this great diversity and I think they probably will be able to find congregations where they do feel uh, comfortable resisting these kinds of changes. What I found, though, which which has really been thrilling for me, I think with very large segments of our community, my message resonates. And the idea that we should be inclusive and embracing. And, And if so... So those who already feel that way will find in your book an affirmation. Those who don't feel that way are free to disagree. So who is the audience of this book? Well, I see, I hope the audience, I mean, why I really appreciate the opportunity to come uh, talk uh, to your congregation, because I would hope your congregation would be very much part of the audience. All, necessarily, even most, are going to agree, but I think that they'll find it interesting and stimulating, and I think they'll find it relating to issues that your congregation, in fact, I suspect, is struggling with. You know, for example, when a child is being bar or bat mitzvah, and the non-Jewish parent wants to participate in the service. Well, what can they do? What can't they do? Where do you draw the lines? It's a line-drawing exercise. It has changed. It does evolve. There are pushes and pulls. It's not static. And there's not just one way to look and at any given issue. So. Exactly right. I don't claim my answer is the answer, but I claim that I've really tried to, in a serious way to think it through grappling with what uh, the tradition has been. So you put in your book an entire chapter about challenges, and you succinctly put forward challenges and questions to the theories that you propose, and you both ask and answer them there. I was struck that you put that in the middle of your book. (laughs) Why there? What was your thinking? Well, uh, uh... Are you speaking to the challenges I pose to my own standard? Yes, that you you say you recognize that there are those who right. will very much disagree That's with right. you, and you sort of use their voice and try to tease out some of right. those challenges. And as you go through and you try to tease those out, it is almost an interlude in the middle of the flow of your book, and then you return right back to your argument. What was your thinking on placing it there? What was your thinking about what it was doing, how it was well, functioning that, in the book? Do you feel like you captured 
the um, basic challenges and have sort of placed it off to the side, and now you can move on with your argument. Was there a uh, some part of your legal training that came in in no, the placement of those challenges? That's a great question. And, and, and I bet if, if you've been my editor, you might have thought of a better way to do it. Uh, but but, but I, I think the reason was, and it is no doubt the law professor, in that a number of chapters in the book, early in the book, really go through, well, what, what does it mean to be Jewish? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't being Jewish require a religious commitment of some sort? And I, I found very interesting in my own studies that Judaism is a different kind of religion. There's no catechism uh, of required beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that, in fact, even the most orthodox rabbi will acknowledge that there are Jews who are atheists, and even though they're atheists, they may not be very good Jews or observant Jews, but they're still Jews. So it's not, uh, doesn't involve a commitment to uh, a a set of uh, required beliefs, although Jewish scholars along the way I've sometimes tried to describe what the essential ones were. And then I talk about, well, are we a race? Is, in fact, being Jewish some kind of uh, sort of question of biologic, biology? Mm-hmm. And, and a really very challenging chapter for me was, well, are we a people? And if so, what is what does it mean to be a people? Is that really just another way of trying to claim there's this biologic, physical element? Or, in fact, does it mean that there's a shared cultural commitment of some sort? And then I go through all of this, and then I finally say, well, Manukin, how would you define the boundaries? And there's an argument, of course, as you know, about, well, how can you have any group if you don't define boundaries? And sometimes people say, you don't have any boundaries. You just say anybody who self-identifies counts. And I say, no, no, it's got to be public self-identification. So it does require an aspect of, observable uh, behavior. And I realized that that standard would for many be quite jarring. And what I tried to do in that same chapter is at least respond to what I saw some of the criticisms of it would be. Now, I I do not think that this question of defining who counts as a Jew really represents the only or even necessarily the primary challenge that the community is facing. It's one of the challenges, but the book also addresses a number of other challenges I think the community faces, and those other challenges relate to a thin religious commitment on the part of many Jews, relate to anti-Semitism, and changes in anti-Semitism in America, uh, relate, of course, to intermarriage, uh, and and finally uh, relate to Israel. So let's go there to each of those questions. You, in a book about the definition of American Judaism, spend a fair amount of time on Israel. Yes. Why was it important to you to spend so much time on Israel in terms of how American Jewish self-identity is defined? It's a terrific question, and I, I think the reason is because in America, certainly since 1948, for many American Jews, Part of our definition of what it means to be an American Jew relates to a feeling of support and commitment to the survival of Israel. And uh, I say this, I I actually 
was part of a group of philosophers that went to the Hartman Institute for two or three years. And at one of our last sessions, I, I made the rather heretical claim. I said, you know, by the way, that I think there are more Israelis living semi-permanently in America today than there are American Jews that have ever made Aliyah. Mm. So in terms of this Zionist notion, <laughs> that mm. we American Jews are, uh, in fact although we're committed to Israel's survival, are about to emigrate and go live there, in my view, it's not going to happen. That Our primary national identity is as U.S. citizens. But nonetheless, I think Israel's very important. And so what I devote a couple chapters in the book to is first Israel's own struggle, trying how within Israel defining who counts as a Jew, and how they were trying to define it for very different purposes in different ways. It's not been a steady, easy answer there. That's actually one of the most interesting and engaging places in your book, because you bring up some legal cases where in Israel they've attempted to define who is a Jew. I thank you for sharing those with us through your book. (laughs) Well, see, what's, what's remarkable in this, of course, the law professor in me loves this, that in Israel's early days, almost for the first decade, for purposes of the law of return, and that is who could come to Israel and have an automatic right to citizenship and various subsidies, they applied what I'll somewhat presumptuously say, the Manukan definition, and that self-identity was enough and indeed, the Ministry of Justice what, uh, issued a ruling along the way in the 50s that you were not to inquire or dig underneath. When someone came and said, I'm Jewish, you are not to inquire and say, well, show me that your mother was Jewish. You take their word for it. And of course, this was during a process of state building. They were probably looking for people to come. But when that regulation was issued, the National Religious Party, an an Orthodox party that was part of Ben-Gurion's coalition, raised hell. And that started a great internal dispute. And uh, ultimately, the law of return, which had had no definition at all of uh, who counted as a Jew, uh, was modified. There were other places they were also trying to define who was a Jew. One had to do with what was called registration. That's not the right to just come into the country and become a citizen, but what your identity card said. Uh, uh, in all events, Israel's had its had its struggles, and now that they. Uh, what's interesting is the law of return today has created a situation within Israel where there are really hundreds of thousands of non-Jewish Jews. That is. There are hundreds of thousands of people, especially Russian immigrants, who, because they had a grandparent who was Jewish or a spouse who was Jewish, were permitted to come under the law of the term, uh, but who don't halakhically qualify. So that legal challenge is actually a great challenge to us here in America. If we were to follow that more expansive vision of who is a Jew, self-identity, and Israel is following the matrilineal descent and proof it back right. through. It creates a schism within 
the Jewish world in terms of Jews who grow up here and believe that they are Jewish and are no longer connected. You rightfully point out in your book that there is already an increasing alienation among the next generation from Israel and to Israel, and that one of the great challenges of our time is how we can continue to relate to Israel as American Jews. How would the definition that you would recommend we apply here and the definition that they are applying in Israel, um, how would you imagine a unified Jewish people under those terms? Well, I, I think, look, uh, within Israel itself, it's already a problem. Uh, and uh, there's the issue within Israel itself of uh, whether you could perform a conversion or whether it would count. Now, it turns out, I think, if you perform a conversion in the United States, that person qualifies when they go there. Well, you could ask yourself, why does that make any sense? Well, the Orthodox rabbinate would say it makes no sense. It's kind of a political compromise, and they're sort of muddling through. I think that's what probably what's going to have to continue to happen. I mean, what is appalling is how regularly you have certain Israeli ministers who are often part of the uh, Haredim community or part of the government end up making claims that um, reform Judaism in America is the equivalent of the Holocaust. You know, I mean, they're just that, that, or I can't bear to think of as Jewish people who are affiliated with reform or conservative congregations, uh, even when halakhically they would qualify. So, you know, I think that these issues of tolerance and acceptance are tough ones. You know, I'm not about to tell Israel how it should set up necessarily its immigration laws or run its internal politics, but I think that the American Jews have a stake. And yet you maintain that it is important for us as a core definition of what it means to be an American Jew to have a relationship with Israel. Tell us more about why that's critical for you. Well, look, I think that the currently is of great importance that there be a state uh, that can offer refuge uh, to Jews who are persecuted in the world, I think is a wonderful thing and a great thing. Moreover, I think the development of Jewish culture in Israel mm-hmm. is fascinating and to have uh, a, a place where a majority of its population are Jews and they're evolving their own thoughts and definitions of what our culture will mean is also terrific. I think that the thing that strikes me is the Jewish world today, I mean, there are really two great centers of Jewish life. One of them is the United States, the other is Israel. And I think there's a quite an, I think the challenges faced by the two are extremely different. And I think there is not as deep an understanding of each other as there ought to be. I think it's a problem. And I think it's a problem not only that many American Jews have a very, don't have a very sophisticated understanding of the internal dynamics within Israel, but the opposite is true, too. Most, most Israelis have no real understanding of American Jewish life. And indeed, I, I suspect you've had the experience of when 
secular Israelis come to America and see how vibrant non-Orthodox religious life is in uh, Jewish communities, they're kind of stunned. Among the four critical challenges that you set out in your introduction is that American Jews are no longer persecuted for being mm-hmm. Jewish. Your book went to press in 2018. Right. Since then, yes. the ADL reports that anti-Semitism has increased exponentially. The JTA says that more than half of all hate crimes in America today are acts of anti-Semitism. Do you continue to feel that way today? What impact, if any, do you believe the rise of anti-Semitism will have on the shaping of the American Jewish future that you imagine? Well, I I think, first of all, you're right that, um, especially since when I began working on the book, which is four or five years ago, It was before Charlottesville, it was before Pittsburgh. Uh, We've had these horrific and shocking uh, examples of anti-Semitism. And I want to be clear, nothing in my chapter suggests that I think there are no no anti-Semites in America. Uh, Plainly there are. Uh, But what my argument is, and I still, I remain committed to my argument, uh, is that if you look at the big picture, since my grandparents' generation, my great-grandparents' generation, within America, there's been the most remarkable acceptance of Jews and decline in anti-Semitism. Uh, I went to a boys' school in Kansas City that had a quota. Uh, when I went to Harvard, I graduated in 1964 and then law school thereafter. Uh, There were no Jewish presidents of Ivy League colleges. There were no, there had not yet been any Jewish deans of law schools. Uh, There were whole industries that were closed to Jews. In my parents' generation, there were still... um, resorts that wouldn't accept Jews. Uh, My grandfather in the 20s bought a house in what was called the Country Club District uh, and he did it through a straw because it was restricted. Well, those things have all gone by the boards. Now, uh, I'm not saying that there still aren't, there aren't anti-Semites and I don't want to uh, suggest that I'm not concerned, I am concerned, uh, but by these statistics and outside the United States, I think it's a really still a very, it's becoming an increasingly serious problem. In England, for example, what's going on within the Labor Party is very troubling. Um, and do you think that the rise of those challenges outside of the United States and even inside of the United States will change and shift the way that those who are living very uh, comfortable and accepted lives here in the United States are relating to their Jewish identity moving forward? I think it will have an impact. I think it will have an impact. I mean, one thing 
I think the rise in anti-Semitism has made more, many American Jews whose Jewish identity otherwise might be quite thin, a little more aware of it. Uh, and as I say, it's paradoxical, but I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because I mean, I think, I, I think that for, for me, that the um, really serious challenge is not intermarriage. It, it's really rather the extent to which being Jewish and having a Jewish having a Jewish strand is affecting how people are living their lives, and uh, that's a challenge. And I don't, I certainly don't have the answer to it. <clears throat> but I think my own feeling about meeting the challenge is this best met by being embracing, by being welcoming. So you speak passionately about the importance of opt out Judaism as well as opt in Judaism. You speak about the need to remove the boundaries to opt in but also that people should be able to self-identify out. Now, on balance, given many modern liberal Jews' thin Jewish education, as you describe it, what makes you so confident that the opt-in will balance the opt-out? I'm not sure it will. I think that the reality is today that in America, if you want to stop being Jewish, it's not too tough to do. And I think my own feeling is I have a strong sense that many people uh, who have a Jewish grandparent or Jewish ancestry or discover some Jewish connection are really uh, intrigued and can be drawn to it. Um, so I think that I'm optimistic. So in your chapter on raising a Jewish child, you transition from an intellectual proponent of a particular philosophical view into an evangelist for engagement. Your chapter in particular where you speak about Wendy and Jimmy's experience with their grandchildren is uh, very touching. Tell me about your experience with your own grandchildren. Well, in, in the book I really uh, describe <clears throat> a number of anecdotes about uh, Dale, my wife, and I experience in our own Jewish journey. But I certainly don't want to claim that we're role models in this respect. I think I, I celebrate <clears throat> Wendy Manukin, uh, a member of your congregation, as a role model because I think she, in fact, has uh, three children, all of whom have intermarried. And I think she has shown and the reason I write about her is I think she's really shown how a grandparent can make a difference. 
uh, and make a difference where you're not going to be telling your children or grandchildren what to do, but through example and your own commitment, uh, make it appealing. So if it's not the role model kind of a paradigm that you're following now, what is it that you got out of this experience of writing this book for them that has changed or shaped or um, somehow informed your relationship to what model you want to put forward with your own grandchildren of active Jewish engagement? Well, I think the one thing that I I think I've been, I now uh, pretty direct and unambiguous about is I think my children and grandchildren understand how important to me, at least in this stage of my life, being Jewish is. And, you know, for example, we all went to Israel this past December. We had our own birthright trip of sorts. Uh, My daughters, our two son-in-laws, all four grandchildren. Uh, We spent a couple weeks in Israel, and it was a very special trip. Um, I was thrilled that we were able uh, to do that. What's hard for me is, and I regret this, and that, that is the liturgy of Judaism as a religion is not very central to me, and I don't feel it. And so it, that's not something I can really pass on. What I express in the book is a real regret that when our children were growing up, we didn't celebrate Shabbat, and we did celebrate Passover, and we celebrated other Jewish holidays, because I think there are ways to give expression to it. The other thing I say in the book is, notwithstanding the fact that I am not myself religiously committed, I urge people, if they want to raise children who have a Jewish identity, that's going to require uh, some education uh, and joining a congregation and being part of a community, I think is quite critically important. So I don't sort of suggest that it's all a do-it-yourself kind of business. Uh, but I, I'm saying that, that that that's my own personal dilemma. And I think that in, in working through the book, that's a regret I feel. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it's not too late. <laughs> um, so if you had it to do over again, you might make different choices. Oh, I think, I, I, I think for sure I would. Absolutely. I think I would. Uh, although, you know, look, I think that um, our grandchildren are still works in progress, but I'm op- guardedly optimistic. I'm proud of my daughters, neither of whom are deeply religious in a, in a conventional sense, but both of whom I think, I, I think have a strong Jewish identity. And look, every generation... It's evolving, and, and it's it's not necessarily a one-way street, as you know. I mean, you know, it's so interesting how uh, there are, as, as I see in my students, you know, there's a lot of change. Which leads me to, if you had to sum up your entire book <laughs> in one soundbite, what would it be? That the American Jewish community should celebrate our diversity and embrace choice. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this podcast. For our listeners, we invite you to read Professor Manukin's book, The Jewish American Paradox, 
and join us for his lecture on Sunday, September 15th at 9.30 a.m. at Temple Emanuel in Newton, Massachusetts. We look forward to seeing you there.